Hello, everybody, and welcome to a little mini episode of the For The One podcast. Why am I here? I am here because uh, with the podcast and the format this year, I really don't get to go in-depth with reviewing games and talking about kind of the big underlying underlying storylines that went on during the games, etc., etc. I don't get to go in-depth. Admiral, you like that, doesn't let me. He says that doesn't get a lot of clicks. So here I am. I'm going to do a little kind of 30-minute episode for everyone. Uh, and I'm just going to take 10 minutes Per game, I'm doing three games total, and I'm just going to kind of let you know the underlying storyline and my thoughts surrounding the final outcome and what was happening. Uh, So yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Just wanted to get my thoughts on paper. Uh, That's why I originally started the podcast. So let's just jump right into it then. Ooh, that's a good noise. We will start at noon with Florida State and Clemson. Number four, Florida State went into Death Valley. Clemson, South Carolina that is, and won in overtime 31-24. We will start with some box score and then roll in uh, to kind of my overall thoughts. So Jordan Travis, 21-37, 289, two touchdowns. Florida State only ran the ball for 22 yards total. Meanwhile, Clemson, Cade Klubnick had a great day. He was 25 of 38, 283, one touchdown. And Clemson, as a team, ran the ball 41 times for 446 yards. Clemson really outplayed Florida State for the majority of this game, uh, there was some question marks kind of down the stretch, particularly in overtime. Derek Riley called kind of a run-pass option play, and it was third and one. They were already down 31-24 because Florida State had just scored in overtime. 31-24, third and one. It was a uh, Cade Klubnik could either hand the ball off to the running back or swing it out to the outside. And he decided to swing it out to the outside when all they needed was a yard. And as I said, to that point, they had already rushed for 146 yards, three three and a half yards a carry. So that ended up losing a yard. It was then fourth and two. They go. They have to go for it in overtime. Fourth and two. Ball gets batted down at the line of scrimmage. Game over. Uh, and the Clemson dynasty is done and over with. So a couple things here. Florida State has started slow every single game this this year. Um, they were down at halftime to LSU first game of the season. Uh, second game of the season, Charleston Southern. Close game at halftime. Close-ish game at halftime. Last week, Boston College comes roaring back after a slow start by Florida State. They put it on them, and then Boston College comes rolling back, and they only end up winning by two. At the end of one, it was 3-0 Clemson. At halftime, it was 17-14 Clemson. At the end of the third quarter, it was 24-all. And then neither team scored in the fourth quarter. So... What does that say about Florida State? I think what it says about Florida State is they're still trying to learn how to be elite. And how you know you're elite is when you, despite the slow starts, kind of pick it up and lay it on at the end. 
Now, Clemson's a great team. Clemson's got good defense, good running game. However, their lack of receiving talent on the last on the outside has diminished significantly over the last seven years. Uh, their top receiver was Tyler Brown. I'd never heard of Tyler Brown before Saturday. Uh, again, this was a receiving core that had DeAndre Hopkins and it had Mike Williams and it had Justin Ross. Now Ross had an injury, but these were big names at Clemson that just are no longer there. Meanwhile, Florida State's got Johnny Wilson, 6'7". He can run a 4'5". They got Keon, Keon Coleman, who's probably a first or second round talent. Trey Benson, running back. Jaheim Bell, transfer from South Carolina, probably going to be like a Bill Samuel in the NFL one day. So the the outside talent, the talent on the outside, has definitely swapped in the favor of Florida State. And Florida State is learning how to be to become elite. But they are slowly but surely getting there. And how you do is you win these close games on the road. Florida State had not won in Death Valley for seven uh, since 2013 or something when Jameis Winston was the quarterback in seven tries. So you double that because it's every other year. So that's 14 years they haven't really um, close to 14 years. Yeah, 10 years. 2013 it was. Uh, so Florida State learning how to become elite Clemson again Clemson's identity was always in the quarterback run game and then having big wide receivers on the outside that is no longer it it is now strictly trying to run the football with their running backs their offensive line is not conducive to for that their quarterback is a willing runner but that's just not in the game and now they don't have talent on the outside Clemson's always going to have a great defense, but could this be one of the final years of Dabo Sweeney in Clemson? Absolutely. I can absolutely see that. I don't think with the realignment that's going on and the playoff going to 12 teams that the boosters at Clemson, I know he's probably earned owed a lot of money, will have that much faith. I know he's won two natties. Really, he did it with two classes. Um, he has the class that won the first national title was the winningest uh, Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence. That was the winningest group of Clemson he's had. And since they've graduated now six, seven years ago, Clemson has slowly been declined. If he doesn't have an elite quarterback, if he doesn't have the Taj boys going way back, and then the Sean Watsons, and then the Trevor Lawrences, it really exposes some of the holes that hide within the Clemson Tigers program. How can you fix the Clemson Tiger program in a GIF? Very easy. Transfer for a portal. They have not gone to the transfer portal at all. Dabble Swimming is all about family, keeping players in-house, recruiting, keeping players in keeping those recruits in-house. However, it's not working, clearly. So he's got to go. He's got to get some receiving talent for the outside. He's got to get some offensive line help ASAP. And, and really, that's it. 
It's the receiving talent on the outside and the offensive line. They're awesome on defense. Again, they held Florida State to 22 yards rushing on 20 attempts. That's 1.1 yards average-wise, a carry. Uh, they're good on defense. They've always been good. They've, they're still recruiting at a high level there. They will get the quarterback because it's a. they will get a four, four-and-a-half star quarterback. They will get running backs. Uh, Will Shipley, uh, Phil Maffa, they both had good days. They kind of split carries, but they were very productive. Uh, they just need help at the receiving position and along the defensive line. Let's flip this over to Florida State just real quick. Florida State on their way. They're, they are number two in my rankings. They have been number two in my rankings since they beat LSU week one. They stay that way. Walking into a place where you have never won, that's like Michigan walking into the horseshoe last year and beating Ohio State. It, 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 it kind of releases you from the grip of your arch rival if you can beat them at their place just one time. Uh, Florida State, very senior-laning team. I'm... ACC all of a sudden is fun. Duke's fun. Uh, Notre Dame, I know they're not an official ACC school, but they play an ACC schedule, basically. They're fun to watch. We'll get in, into them a little bit later. Florida State, though, is the cream of the crap right now in the ACC, but be on the lookout for Miami, who Florida State plays later this year because Miami is also 4-0, beat Texas A&M, and they, they're coming. They have kind of that late 90s, early 2000s swagger, back just a little bit you don't want to go full-blown cocaine Miami but you do want maybe a little Sudafed in the system to get you all revved up so let's switch over to another game shall we and we're going to switch over we're going to go from Florida State and Clemson and we're going to talk about what happened at night In the gaze of touchdown Jesus. In Notre Dame, South Bend, Indiana. So Ohio State ended up winning this game 17-14. They won on a last second run in the end zone. So a couple things here. I was hoping to do this uh, little episode with not CFP insider Roberto. He couldn't make it unfortunately so I'm here. But I feel like, and I wanted to get his opinion on this. I feel like Notre Dame specifically Marcus Freeman, lost this game more than Ohio State won it. couple things. So down the stretch, there's two minutes and change left. Ohio State has one timeout. Um, they're, they're in the process. They just, two previous plays, run, run, they burned it. They call screen play. The screen play gets blown up by Ohio State. It falls incomplete, stops the clock. Ohio State saves their timeout. Ohio State gets the ball back and is driving. And then Notre Dame gets pressure on Kyle McCord at about the Notre Dame 20-yard line because they're in the process of going in to score. Kyle McCord throws the ball away. It's intentional grounding. That's a 10-second runoff. There were 15 seconds left in the game. That would have put it at 5 seconds, one last play from the 20-yard line for all the marbles. I like Notre Dame's chances, but who knows? But because they had the timeout, you can call the timeout to stop the 10-second runoff. So that's what they do. Now they get two plays from the 20. So they, they, they throw a pass. It gets caught. Omeka Buko was outstanding this game at the one. They run down. They spike it. Two plays later, they run it in. So there's your first mistake. 
throwing the screen pass instead of just running it there on third down with two minutes and change left. Your second play is the last play of the game. Notre Dame, when they played Tennessee State, got caught. Uh, they let Tennessee State score a touchdown because they only had 10 men on the field. Okay, you know, you're allowed to have 11 on defense. You're allowed to have 11 on offense. Can't have 12. You can have less than 11. You just can't have 12. That's a penalty. Well, they line up last play of the game, or Tennessee State, they get a touchdown, 10 men on the field. Last play of the game, 10 men on the field for Notre Dame. And where that 11th player would have been was right where they scored the touchdown. So I felt like Notre Dame lost this game more than Ohio State won it. Now let's get to the Ohio State side. Kyle McCord was fine. I think he will grow into a good if not great quarterback at Ohio State and for the Big Ten up in the coming years, and Ohio State will be just fine. Trav- they ran for 126 yards on 27 carries. Travion Henderson really ripped off one long 69-yard run, and other than that, he only had 35 yards outside of that 69-yard run. So Notre Dame's defense, very good. Uh, Ohio State's defense, also very good. Uh, they... Did not allow the explosive play to Sam Hartman. Audric Estime only had 70 yards on five yards of carry average. They allowed 176 yards rushing, but they kept the big play of Notre Dame down, which is what they struggled with last year, which is why they lost to Michigan. And they were able to come away with the win. I think Notre Dame and Ohio State's defense, very, very good. And we learned that, that they were both very good. However... If you've seen the Ryan Day rant after post game, he said um, Lou Holtz, who was a former Notre Dame uh, head football coach, he said that Ohio State is not a tough team. That's why they lost to Michigan past the two years. That's why they lose to Alabama. That's why they lose to Georgia because they're not a tough football team. Ohio State went on a rant and said, "We are tough. You know, this is a tough football team." I can't believe he would say that. They barely got it in on the last play against ten men. There's something playing in my ears. They barely got it in on the last play against 10 men. I mean, it was barely that the ball crossed the plane, okay, against 10 men. Also, before the snafu by Notre Dame with two minutes and change to go, what led to that drive was Ohio State was driving decided to go for it on fourth down, fourth and one. They line up with two tight ends, two receivers, and a running back. Maybe a third tight end. So you think, okay, tough football team. Ryan Day is a tough football team. He's going to run down Notre Dame's throat. Well, what happens? He sends a Mecca Buka in motion behind the quarterback who's under center, runs right behind him, hikes the ball, turns hands the ball off to Mecca who goes sideline to sideline. He's not going north and south trying to get the... I mean, he is trying to get the first down, but he's trying to like, like go all the way around the offensive line. That's not what you do if you're a tough football team. Love it or hate it, Michigan on fourth and one will line up with three tight ends and a wide receiver and Blake Corm in the backfield, and they will do this halfback dive play until it fails. And it's failed twice this year so far for them on fourth down. But they will they're running they are running it up the middle because they are a tough football team. 
Ohio State did things in this game that proved that they were not tough. They went for it on fourth down twice in Notre Dame territory, did not convert. You're a tough football team, and it was fourth and short both times. You're a tough football team. So am I buying that the Ohio State team is tough? No. Am I buying that the Ohio State offense, when it faces a great defense, is good enough to win games? I'm not. Again, same thing can be said for Notre Dame. Am I buying that a Notre, that the Notre Dame team is tough? I am, but am I buying that they are smart enough to win a national title? Absolutely not. Twice, 10 men on the field. 12 men, I get it. Someone gets a little hyped up. 10 men, absolutely not. Do I believe that the Notre Dame offense is good enough to win a national championship? No, I don't. Because you only get 14 points after you were getting 40 a game. Also, play calling, second half, Audric Estime and that vaunted Notre Dame running game gets going, gets clicking a little bit. And then all of a sudden, you just you go, you go away from it. Again, right, wrong, or indifferent. Michigan will bang their head. Jim Harbaugh will bang his head on a brick wall again and again and again and again, trying to run the ball, trying to run the ball, trying to run the ball. The minute it starts working, good luck getting him to go away from it. Uh, Notre Dame bang their bang their head on that brick wall, and then as soon as they got a hole, and as soon as it starts working, it was okay. Now let's try to throw the ball a little bit more. Um. So uh, Marvin Harrison only Jr. only had three catches, thirty-two yards. Uh, he did hurt his ankle second half, so he wasn't hundred percent. Omeka Buka again outstanding, seven receptions, ninety-six yards. The tight end, Cade Silver, was really good. So, am I buying that Ohio State's a national title contender? No, not yet. Do I think that they can can and will find themselves in the playoffs? Uh, absolutely, I do. Do I think Notre Dame is the same? No, because I think Notre Dame is tough. Notre Dame, but I don't believe in their pass game, explosive pass game, and I don't believe in the decisions that the coaches make. Both 10 men on the field, so that probably means that's going to happen again. Or they're going to make some other big snafu. And then the other thing, once the running game stops working and you're running football team, why go away from it? All right. So that's game number two. Last one. Last one was the beatdown of Colorado and Oregon. This one might only take five minutes and then I may jump into Alabama Old Miss. There's not too much to say here. We're going to talk about this one on the uh, Friday rendition of um, Fourth One Podcast. So be sure to go listen to that full episode. Here's the deal. Colorado was overranked at 19. Everyone knew it except for... The media knew that Colorado was ranked too high at 19. The media, though, also wanted people to watch this football game. So they were caught in a tough place. Reese Davis, college football, Pete Thamel, college football podcast, Stanford Steve, said the spread before the game was 21. He said, they're all like, dude, I, I just can't do it. It's Oregon. They're laying the points with Oregon, laying the points. It was very clear and evident early on that Oregon was the better football team. Shadur Sanders dropped back. I mean, he was 23 of 33. He was sacked like seven times. He only had 159 yards and a touchdown. They ran the ball for a whopping 40 yards on 25 carries. That's 
one and 1.6 yards a carry. Uh, it looks like Shadur Sanders was sacked around 10 times. I'm sorry, it was seven when I stopped watching the game. Meanwhile, just as I said, Colorado can't stop the run. Oregon ran at 38 times for 240 yards. Bo Nix was Bo Nix was awesome. 28, 33, 276, three touchdowns. He did throw an interception. Uh, and the receivers were awesome. Big play after big play. Troy Franklin, especially. Big, lanky Troy Franklin over the top. Um, the defenses for Oregon was, were outstanding. Colorado, just not so much. Here's the deal. Colorado can't protect the quarterback right now and can't run the football. And that's not what you want to happen. Shadur Sanders, when he has time, he is a very good and accurate quarterback. When he does not have time, he is no quarterback is accurate and good throwing the football downfield. They got to figure out how to run the football effectively. They cannot average 1.6 yards a carry. And they got to run more. So Anthony Hankerson, Dylan Edwards, Alton McCastrill, three running backs right there. They got five carries, three carries, five carries. You have to at least try to run more than that. Again, if nothing to keep your defense honest. So between those running backs, they had 13 overall carries. Um... For those running, you have to at least try, even if it's not working. Again, Oregon, Bucky Irving, Jordan James, Noah Whittington, those were top three. 10 carries, 7 carries, 8 carries. I mean, Bucky Irving had 10 carries for 89 yards. That's nine, basically 9 yards a carry, 8.9 for those of you that can do math. Oregon is a legitimate title contender. Their offense with Bo Nix, he's been there. He's been in school for five years, three years Oregon, two years, or I'm sorry, three years at Auburn, two years at Oregon now. Their defense under Dan Lanning, Colorado again, could not run the football, so there, there's the 42-6 to six score is probably not indicative of what it could have been. It could have been much worse. Against a team that can run the football, so the pace, this probably is a 35-28 to 10-14 to sort of game where they're still outmatched and you can still see one team's better than the other, but the pace is kind of slowed down a little bit. Dan Lanning, the former defensive coordinator from Georgia, though, will have this defense in a good enough situation to at least compete for a Pac-12 title and compete for a college football playoff spot and potentially a shot at the national title game. Outside of the fact that Colorado can't run the football and can't protect the quarterback, they play with heart. Dion's gotten them going in the right direction. I think they get another kind of, it's not a wake-up call because I think every more people see this coming. Colorado's dropped out of the top 25 this week, the AP top 25. They were never in my top 25, for those of you wondering. I know that is no one. But Colorado uh, it is going in the right direction. But this week against USC, the spread right now is 21 and a half. If it was 20 and a half or 21, I'm taking it. Just that little extra kicker at the end has me scared but again this it's probably a 49 28 sort of game USC's defense is not good 
is not good. And again, if I'm ranking the Pac-12 teams right now, the top three for me are Washington, followed by Oregon, and then USC. Closely behind is Washington State, who made a statement game or had a statement win against Oregon State right after this Oregon game concluded at home on the Palouse, beat, hold on, held on to beat Oregon State in the battle for the Pac-2. So, but, but right now it's Washington. Washington's the cream of the crop. Meanwhile, Washington hung like 59 on Cal. And USC kind of sleptwalked through their game against... Um, I'm trying to find it here. Well, where is USC at? USC only beat Arizona State by 14, 42, 28. It was only an eight-point game at halftime. It was a seven-point game in the third quarter, and then USC scored 15 straight. Meanwhile, the Washington Huskies put 59 on Cal, 24 in the first quarter, 21 in the second and then 7-7. Seven and seven. The only concern for me is that Washington's defense at times, if Michael Penix eventually does not throw for 400,000 yards in a game and is moving the football consistently, are you? is your defense still going to be good enough? I mean, like USC's, like if Caleb Williams is not scoring 42 points a game, that defense is not as half as good as it is, and it's even not all that good. Washington also, again, 30 carries, 140 yards, but their main running back, Dylan Johnson, had 10 carries for 66 yards. They're just not consistent with keeping with it, but they haven't had to play a game where they've had to consistently try to run the football. Pac-12 is amazing right now. Pac-12 has three teams in the AP Top 10. They have three of the top five in my top 10, Washington, USC, and now Oregon. Very, as a last hurrah, this is the best way that this conference could do it. Just real quickly, I'm going to take you around. Rutger, uh, Michigan, they're winning games, but they're not doing it flashy, and I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. They won 31-7. It was... 14-7 at halftime. Uh, Rutgers scored basically in one play to start the game. And then Michigan scored seven. And then seven in the second, ten in the third, and seven in the fourth. One of those scores was a pick six by Mike Sanrasil, or it's only 24 set. Like, it, it's, oh, it's good, but they still haven't covered the spread yet this year. However, I will say this. Jim Harbaugh back on the sideline. The offense, J.J. McCarthy was taking the checkdowns. They were running the football a little more. Blake Corm had 21 carries. That was the most this season. He had two touchdowns. It just felt a little... So I'm hoping they build on this. They got a tough week at Nebraska this week, 3.30 ESPN. Texas took Caleb Baylor. I'm still waiting for that Texas slip-up. I am. I am. They play Kansas this week. Number 24, Kansas, coming in. Kansas always plays them really well. I would take Kansas plus the points. Maybe you'll hear that on 4th One Podcast. Uh, and then finally, I'm just going to touch here on Penn State just real quick. 
and more so Iowa. Iowa had like 73 total yards in this game. Drew Aller had 166 total yards and four touchdowns. Penn State, it was 10-0 at halftime, and the game was over. It was 3-0 at the end of the first quarter, and the game was over. Then Penn State scored 14 in the third and seven. Like, Iowa just doesn't have an offense, and I feel bad for their defense and special teams because they're really good. Penn State, again... They're playing good defensive teams, but their offense is not consistent. Again, it, it, it kind of takes me back to what Michigan's doing right now. All the top three Big Ten teams, excuse me, I have an itch on my nose, are doing the exact same thing. They're winning, but it's not flashy. Last year, they were winning, and it was flashy. Even, I mean, Michigan's win against Ohio State and Penn State, flashy wins. Uh, Michigan dominated that second half. Drew Aller, 25-37, 166 yards, four touchdowns. They did run for 215, but on 57 carries, that's 3.8 yards a carry. Again, Catron Allen, 21 carries for 72 yards. Again, Iowa has a very good defense, but I just don't know what to make of the top three Big Ten teams. If I had to put the top three Big Ten teams... Again, up against the top three Pac-12 teams. I think all three Pac-12 teams are, are high, and they actually are, are higher ranked in my top 10 than the top three Big Ten teams, without a shadow of a doubt. I think offensively, they're better, and defensively, they're just good enough. The thing is, with Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan, I know I'm getting a good defensive performance. Pac-12, I don't know. But you know what I do know I'm getting? I'm getting at least... 300 yards passing and a buck 50 on the ground. I don't know that I'm getting that from Drew Aller. I don't know that I'm getting that from Kyle McCord. And I don't know that I'm getting that from JJ McCarthy. So it's going to be fun. One month down, two months to go. Can't believe we are a third of the way through. It's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. So stay tuned. I might do more of these kind of mini episodes. I don't know where it's going to be fun. Um, so yeah, thank you everyone for tuning in. Listen to me ramble for 30 minutes. Go check out the full, uh, go check out last week's episode of fourth and one podcast. Go check out what will be this week's episode on Friday of fourth and one podcast. Follow us on Instagram at fourth and one podcast. My wife, her picks are fire right now. She's 10 and three on the year. Okay. She's very good. Um, and that's it. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Uh, we will see you. I will talk to you all later on Friday. God bless you. God loves you. Wash your hands, you filthy animals, and peace out.